Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. And so today's reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 8 through 22, 27 through 28, and verse 37. At last, Dan, now this is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. At, least Dan, at last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. His name was Belshazzar, after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was laying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong and reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of the heavens and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messenger. It is commanded by the holy ones, so that everyone may know that the holy most high rules over all the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. He had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you've grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heavens and your rule is the ends of the earth. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now skipping 10 verses. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify the, and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're, uh, we're going through the book of Daniel. We're talking about being courageous in our faith, to not be uh, apathetic in our faith or fearful in our faith. But what does it look like to have a courageous faith? 
and discovering and developing this, especially in seasons where we feel like an outsider, uh, like Daniel and, and some of his friends felt like when they were in exile. And so we've been talking about these various elements of what courage looks like, having courageous convictions as kind of a baseline that guides our truth, having uh, a courageous dependency, being synced up with God regularly and relying on him, right, needing him, uh, having a courageous companion around us. That was last week. Having people in your corner, people that surround you and support you. And, and, and each time we're looking at various elements of courage. And this morning as we talk about courageous humility, we see this chapter where Daniel is working for a king. And this king is uh, a bit of a dreamer. Multiple times in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. Anybody have crazy dreams? Right? Now, let's just say, not all dreams are meant to be interpreted, okay? Some of them are just crazy dreams. Uh, this guy has some, some pretty wild dreams, and I, I've heard of crazy dreams when people have cold medicine, right? Too much NyQuil, and you're like, whoa, that was a weird one. Uh, too much, you know, scary movies or stress, or I've even heard I had too much candy the night before, and somehow it spiraled, right? And, and not all dreams are meant to be interpreted. I had a dream, funny enough, last night. I was watching, apparently, Conan O'Brien uh, host a, a, a reading of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I am not making this up. What is the point? And we were in Portland, Oregon, walking the streets going to this. Like, you could try to interpret that, or it's just a weird dream. I don't know. I, it's just bizarro, right? But King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he puts it down in his dream journal, and he comes to David, or Daniel, excuse me, and he comes to Daniel and says, hey, Daniel, my REM cycles are getting interrupted. What is going on with this dream? And so Daniel interprets this dream, and it's this large, fruitful tree, just this iconic imagery of fruitfulness and prosperity and health and, and beauty. And in the dream, the thing is chopped down, okay? Just paraphrasing what Josh read for us in, in its entirety, and it's chopped down to a stump, and the king is represented by this stump. That he would eventually hit such a demise that he would be eating with the animals and living in the wilderness and hit this rock-bottom lowly state uh, from where he was of prosperity and ruling this kingdom of great power and influence and all of this, and it's this illustration of the humbling that was about to come to King Nebuchadnezzar. This whole chapter is about humility, as you read chapter four. And the king is being humbled because he's allowed his ego to rule. He's allowed his pride to puff himself up to such an arrogance that he thought his kingdom was infallible, indestructible, right? Much like us humans, that's what we tend to do. We build up these kingdoms that are unbreakable. And Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled. And God uses this dream to send a message to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. And they share this message of humility and repentance. And Daniel calls him to repent, says, hey, King Neb. And that's what I call him, King Neb. It's, it's time to repent. It's time to, you know, turn from your ways. And all of this comes to fruition. And he does hit rock bottom. He becomes a stump, metaphorically speaking. Uh, but then experiences this, this resurgence, this turn that happens in his life. But as you read through this entire chapter, the dream itself, the message that Daniel has, and also what I want to take note of is Daniel's approach to delivering this tough message, you see humility. And in the context of this courageous series, we have this, this idea of courage. And humility, I think, is one of those ingredients that we might, or components that we might overlook. When we think of courageous, how many of us think of humility? 
It's not often integrated together. We would think courage and we would think boldness and, and power and strength and fearlessness and all of that, but there is a humility throughout this whole chapter that God is wanting not just Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, but I believe the readers for generations to see humility is a component of God's character that he wants embodied in humanity. And so it's about developing this courageous faith and this courageous living through a humbling in our hearts. Because without humility, our courage is going to be mistaken for condescension. We won't become courageous Christians, we'll be condescending Christians, controlling Christians. I'm just going to control what you believe and tell you that this is what you're supposed to believe. I want to debate. We become really good debaters when we don't have humility. We want to argue, we want to fight, we want to contend. When we lose humility, we, we lose the essence of, of what we're all about, which is the gentleness of God, the compassion of God, the kindness of God, and we subtract that with brashness and emotionalism and arrogance. And so today isn't so much about what Daniel speaks. That's next week as we look at another chapter where he interprets a message to the king, and there is a time where we need to speak up, and that takes bravery and courage and boldness to do so. But I want to look at how he approaches this conversation, this confrontation, really, as tough and as awkward as it is, he brings a humility into this conversation, and, and it teaches me that it's not just what I'm sharing, it's how I'm sharing it. We might have the right thing, but we're saying it in the wrong way. And I would illustrate this uh, with, a, with a, an analogy of basketball, um, coaching my, my daughter's basketball team and coaching soccer at the same time, so pray for me. Uh, well, we had our first basketball game yesterday, and we've been practicing with these 10 and 11-year-olds and, and teaching them simple mechanics of basketball, right? How to hold the ball, how to shoot the ball, how to pass the ball. And one of the things that everybody has to learn is how to do a layup, right? Take the ball and you just... And it's funny, when you watch somebody that doesn't know how to do a layup, because then they just like... They don't know what to do with their feet. And so we've literally like put the ball down, and we're like, don't touch the ball. And they're like, but it's basketball. I need the ball. And I'm like, no, no, just work on your feet. And I want you to just run at the hoop and get your hands ready and, and your feet. And you're going to lift off of your left foot and go up because most of them are right-handed. And they're like, but coach, where's the ball? And I said, get your feet right, and we're going to figure this out. Because what would happen is we get the ball, and these little 10-year-olds get the ball, and they're dribbling, and they're dribbling. Oh, and then that happens. And now I'm off camera and everything. And then we, uh, we get the ball, and they take it to the hoop, and... You would not know the strength of an 11-year-old until they have the basketball by the backboard and that thing ricochets with such a power because they're so amped up and excited. They get that ball and it's just whammo and that thing ricochets and shoots off the other side or out of bounds or somewhere. And it's like you are one foot away from the hoop. You're right there. It doesn't take a lot of power, but they think it takes a lot of power and a lot of strength because it looks so high because they're, you know, four foot nothing and the hoop is 10 foot. So they think I've got to muster all this strength to chuck that ball as hard as I can. And so we're trying to teach them just gently, just patiently, just calmly bounce it off the backboard. It will go right into the hoop. You have the ball, but it doesn't do any good to powerfully chuck it off the backboard when the goal is, put it into the hoop. We're missing that. And I think it illustrates this idea of what we're talking about today in that you and I, we have the ball. We have the message of Jesus. We have the gospel. We have moments of conversation where you and I are meant to communicate something. 
And the goal is for it to sink deep into their hearts and into their minds. But we come with such an arrogance or a passion and a zeal and a, um, a lack of awareness and such a power that we're just ricocheting it off of their hearts with such force. And we miss the, we miss the opportunity. We missed the chance for this to just gently bounce off the back. I wish I had a backboard because I want to just like, I want to show, oh, there's a hoop, right? And it's just, but that would go through the screen. I'm not going to do that. Today, as we look at Daniel, we're going to see it's okay to slow things down, exercise some gentleness and humility so we deliver a message that sinks deep into the heart of the listener. We don't want to miss the opportunity to share the truth. Absolutely not but we want to do so with effectiveness. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to hurt people in the process. And so we look at Daniel's courageous humility. This humility that we see in verse 19, when Daniel is talking about the dream and the message and meaning of the dream and the humbling and, hey, king, you're going to turn into a stump. That is not a message that I would be excited to tell my boss, right? And this is what Daniel's response is. Look at the humility that he exudes here. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. And then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to, to my enemies, my lord, not to you. Daniel is not excited that his king is going to be destroyed and humbled and punished. There's no sense of vengeance or vindication in his response and the way he carries himself, right? And he, of all people, would be fully understandable to say Daniel deserves to be like clapping back at the king, right? This is the guy that tried to kill three of his friends in the furnace last week. This is the guy that threatened to kill him because he didn't eat the food that was sitting at the table of the king's buffet, right? This is the guy that took him out of his homeland and brought him as a slave into a foreign land. Of all the people that could clap back at the king and say, you deserve to be punished, wouldn't it have been Daniel? Wouldn't there have been something inside of him like, yes, I'm so glad he got it, right? I'm, I'm excited and happy to see Russell Wilson struggling. Yes, you get what you deserve, punk, right? I love it when the Niners lose, and I love it when the Rams lose. I love it when I see my sports enemies lose, right? Think about Daniel. It's just like, those of you that don't like sports, these analogies are not hitting. That's okay. Bear with me, right? But the idea here is of all the people Daniel could have looked at and said, you deserve demise. Wouldn't it have been the king? Wouldn't he have wanted to puff out his chest and say, hey, you're getting what you deserve. You're going to be humbled. You're going to be cut down. You're going to be a stump. You see, our pride wants our pound of flesh. Our pride wants vindication and vengeance. Our uh, arrogance wants to deliver it with such a, a power, and we want to, oh, I gotcha, right? Our power or our culture wants to bring people down a peg and belittle them and diminish them. You get what you deserve. Stop getting so high and mighty up there. Our culture wants to argue their rightness. I'm right, you're wrong, let me tell you why. Daniel does it so differently. You see, I read Daniel in this moment, and I see somebody who I want to exemplify. I want to I take on these attributes of humility because he goes in a completely different direction. He's not rude and brash. 
He's not vindictive or mean. It says in verse 19 that he was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. And you might read that and think he was scared for his own fate. And that, uh, as scholars kind of break down the original language, they look at that fear that he has, and it's not a fear for himself. The other magicians and astrologers and counselors might have been scared to talk about it because they were scared that the king would kind of kill the messenger kind of moment. Nope. That's not what he's afraid of. The scholars break this down and they say his fear is not for himself, it's for the king. King, I'm scared for what's about to happen to you. I don't want to tell you this, but it's about to get real rough. That's what he's scared of. His heart is in such a compassion mode for the king. It's so contrary to the way that I would have been in that moment or to the way most of us would have been in that moment. We would have been like, king, yeah. Yeah. Let's go. You're getting what you deserve. And the, instead, he's, he's frightened for the king's fate. It says in verse 19 that he wishes these events were foreshadowed for his enemies, not his Lord, right? He's wishing that this was somebody else was going to get this punishment. It shows that compassion and that care for the well-being of the king. And it exudes this humility that he is not superior to the king in this moment. And his demeanor in this conversation reminds me of uh, some of the things that happened in the New Testament. you fast forward generations, and you see Jesus looking over Jerusalem. And the compassion that Jesus exudes as he looks over the city of Jerusalem, look at, look at his words here. They're going to be up on the screen. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 42, it says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, he saw the city ahead and began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of you of all people. It, Jesus is talking about a, a group of people that should have known better, should have figured it out, should have been in line with God's will, and yet these were the people that rejected him and hurt him and wanted to destroy him. These are the people that wanted to hurt him, and Jesus looks out at this, this city, and his heart is not vindictive. It is what? It is weeping with compassion. I care deeply about these people. I wish that they would see the wholeness and the peace that God had promised them, and they've missed it. And similar to Daniel, of all the people that Jesus could have said, like, I told you so, you should have known better. Instead, his heart breaks with compassion and a humility for them to say, man, I wish they would have got it. I wish they would see it. He wants their well-being. He wants their best for them. You look at, at, at the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives the early church, and again, they're in the same vein, the same line as Daniel's words, as Jesus' words. We see Paul write this to the early church in Galatians 6, 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Notice it doesn't say put them on blast. If you see your brother or sister struggling, you gently and humbly walk with them. You exude the same compassion that Jesus had when he looked over the city, the same care and concern and empathy that Daniel had as he talked to Nebuchadnezzar. Paul is telling the early church, our tendency is to want to be brash and condescending and rude. And in fact, I see this in the modern church today and Christians today. It makes me sick when I go to a Mariners game and I see picketers telling everyone that's going to the Mariners game that they're going to hell. They're on a megaphone with a sign that says, you're all going to burn in hell. I'm like, who are you to judge me? 
If anything, you are not embodying the very words that Paul says. If you who are godly, you who know God, you who are walking with God, see somebody else struggling, it doesn't say get your picket sign and scream at them. It doesn't say get your phone and put them on blast. It doesn't say talk bad about them in your life group. It doesn't say get in their face and scream at them until they conform to your ways. What does it say? Gently and humbly help them. Walk with them. Take a journey with them. Walk with them in their brokenness because they haven't quite got this dialed in either. The people of Jerusalem that Jesus looked at hadn't figured it out. The king Nebuchadnezzar hadn't figured it out. And God was using people to bring a message of repentance and reconciliation and restoration. And he's bringing this message through people, but he's not doing it through force. What is he doing it through? Humility. He's doing it through condescension. Often Christians mistake brashness for boldness. We mistake condescension for courage. And you hear things in church like, hate the sin and love the sinner. That is, that sounds nice, but that's really hard to do. Or we say, oh, can I just get real with you for a moment? Can I tell you the truth in love? You heard that one? Which basically means, can I just like not be nice for a second and I'm just gonna be really brash and rude with you? And because I'm saying it with this preface, you'll still kinda like me, right? Can we get real? Can we be honest? Well, I hope we could be honest, but I hope we could do so with gentleness and humility like Jesus exemplified, like Daniel exemplified, and like Paul called us to, rather than let's be jerks for Jesus in the name of love, <laughs> right? Like that's just not what we see in scripture. That's not who we are. We miss the mark when we lack that compassion. We are taking the basketball and slamming it off the backboard. We are not gently laying it off the backboard and allowing it to sink deep into people's hearts. We are taking this message of hope and health and restoration and peace and prosperity. This message of repentance is just ricocheting off of the people in our lives. So how do we develop courageous humility? How do we, how do we embody this? How do we live this out? C.S. Lewis has a quote, the guy that wrote Narnia, right? He's most known for that. But he wrote some other books too and he said some things. I haven't read them, but I read this quote just in full honesty and transparency. I watched the movie of Narnia, uh, and this wasn't in it. C.S. Lewis is quoted saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I just love this quote for humility because humility is kind of this stained glass Christianese word, and it helps me understand what humility is all about. Humility isn't about self-deprecating, which I am really good at. I can diminish myself and make fun of myself, but that's not humility. That's just being mean to yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less, not less of yourself. It's thinking more and more about putting the focus onto somebody else. And as we look at Daniel and Jesus and the words of Paul, what do we see? We see an encouragement to be people who don't always think about themselves, but we think about the people around us. We think about the king, right? Who is Daniel more concerned about, himself or the king? I'll give you one guess. Who's he more concerned about, himself or the king? He's more concerned about the king. What's alarming him, what's frightening him is the king's demise, not his own, right? When Jesus' heart is broken, who is he focused on? 
He's not sitting there worried about, oh, but you hurt my feelings. I'm the son of God, and you've, you've really crushed me. Who is his heart broken for? Is the people. He's more concerned about the people in that city that are missing the mark than himself being like, but you made me feel bad. And I think sometimes when we get in these tense conversations or these moments of conversations where we need to say some things and we're more concerned with ourselves and how we feel rather than what does the other person need? Humility is caring about the other person in the conversation. What did they need in the moment? Why are they hurting? Why are they confused? Why are they stuck? Let's talk about them for a moment. Let's listen to them. Let's care about them. Paul's writing reminds us to slow down and carry their baggage, not just our own. And so if I'm entering into a tough conversation or a tense conversation or one that just kind of got me anxious, you ever have those? No? I'm the only person that gets anxious no, we all have moments, right, with your boss or a coworker or your spouse or a friend or somebody in your life group or somebody that you care about. Maybe there's just somebody that you care about in your life and you're like, man, I need to have a, I need to have a conversation. I'm going to have to get real with them, right? But, but how do I get real with them in a way that doesn't demolish them? And that's when I stop and I pray. That I can feel that anxiety stirring within me, and I'm like, okay, God, this is a time for me to stop, and I pray. And what I'm praying for is to be able to exude the humility of Christ in the midst of that conversation and care about the other person. And I'm going to give us three words uh, or phrases to help us think about what that looks like and, and engaging that humility in the midst of those tough conversations. Um, and they all start with A, but there's two that, that start with A that we're not going to do. One is we're not going to assume. If you're entering into a tough conversation with somebody, you never want to assume. Jumping to conclusions, assuming their flaws, assuming their problems, assuming their darkness, assuming why they're going into this habit of sin that you want to confront them on. I think it's one of the worst things we can do, we assume. The other is that we're not trying to appease. We're not assuming anything about them, but we're not trying to just appease them and make them happy. And hey, I hope we could just be best buds after this. It's going to be awesome. BFFs for life, right? Like Daniel doesn't come to the king and try to appease the king. He's trying and he's filled with compassion for the king and he's trying to care about the king, but he's not trying to save his own skin. And he's also not trying to be like, are we good, man? I hope at the end of this, when you turn into a stump, that we're still good. And as a people pleaser, I try to appease people and way more than I try to just exude humility at times. Can I just be fully honest and vulnerable in that? That would be my tendency. I sometimes assume, but I most often just want to make you happy. I just, I don't like conflict. And so I want to avoid that conflict. Oh, that could be another A word in there, avoiding. But that's not in my notes, so we can't talk about it. The three things that I, I, when I come into a conversation I'm praying for is one is that I want to acknowledge them. And not just, hey, how you doing? I see you. It's, hey, how you doing? I want to see you. I want to truly see their body language, their tone, their tenor, their body language in, in a way that is exuding an emotion. Notice those emotions. Sharing what I hear them saying so that they can see that you're acknowledging, you're addressing these things. You 
are being seen and heard. And, and for most people, that's what they want. Am I seen? Am I heard? Most conflict that we run into is because somebody didn't feel seen or heard in something. And by simply slowing down to acknowledge, what do I see you saying? Not just what do I hear you saying, what do I see you saying? What are you exuding to me? And then acknowledging, man, I hear your passion for this. I hear your disappointment. I hear your pain. You're acknowledging what they're feeling. And you're more concerned in that moment about what they're feeling than what you're feeling. See, that's humility, is I care about what you feel. I'm listening for what you feel and see and go through and what got you to this point. I'm acknowledging that, right? That's that humility because the opposite of that says, but, but do you see what I feel? Can we, can we understand what I'm feeling in this moment? Do you see my pain? And when I lead with me, we go to odds. It gets tense. When I come in and acknowledge where they're at, and I'm listening for them, and, I'm, and then the second part is I'm asking questions. So I'm not just acknowledging, but I'll begin to ask. Asking questions, finding out what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What got you here, right? Asking questions to better understand them helps them to process. Maybe they're a verbal processor, and you talking with them helps them process out like why this hurts so much. Oftentimes the problem isn't really the problem and there's something deeper going on and by just simply asking questions, you're allowing them to kind of process that out and dig a little deeper themselves. I've had this on numerous occasions with people in tense conversations or what I thought were going to be tense conversations and it diffuses the intensity of it because I'm acknowledging where they're at and I begin to ask them questions and not to be the smart aleck asking the questions. I've done that, right? I've gotten into discussions with people and I'm like, so tell me one way that that worked for you. And they're like, well, I'll tell you six. Oh, yeah? Tell me seven. Right? And tell me one thing that's good about your solution. Right? I kind of get this smart aleck response and this smirk on my face, and I'm trying to trap them. And no, that's not humility. That's just being a jerk. Right? But asking true questions to help them explore what's going on and what they're feeling and, 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 and how this has happened and... and what is stirring so much within them? You'll get a text saying, we need to talk. And you're like, whoa, right? And then you get into that conversation. You start asking questions. You start understanding. And that's something I learned in marriage counseling when April and I were in counseling for a while was to seek to, be, uh, to, seek to understand rather than just be understood. Super practical, but super important. More often than not, our pride gets us to think about, I want you to understand me. Not, I seek to understand you. Daniel understands the pain that is about to come to the king. Jesus understood what was going to happen. And Jesus did something very often in the Gospels, throughout all the writings of the Gospels. What is one thing Jesus did over 300 times? Was ask questions. Jesus acknowledged the pain of humanity, but he asks a lot of questions. We could be people who seek to understand, not just be understood. And thirdly, here's the last thing, to acknowledge, to ask, and then to align. It's aligning with them because we are in this together. Paul says to walk with them on the path, right? We are empathizing. How does this make you feel? What are you passionate about? Awesome. But we're on the same team. We're not drawing a line and saying, this is you versus me. And oftentimes when we argue and we debate and we try to convince or we try to manipulate somebody else, we're trying to get them onto our side. 
See it my way. Let me conform you. And instead, what, what I see Daniel do is he comes into this really tense conversation. What does he do? We're on the same team. What does Jesus do when he comes to, to, to earth? Is he aligns with humanity. Philippians 2 says that he's fully God, and yet he sacrificed all of that to become fully human, right? And he's still fully God. Let's not get into the, all of the, the architecture of that. But what, in Philippians 2, it says he's fully God, but he becomes human, and he lays it down for the sake of humanity. He aligns with humanity. He says, we're, we're on the same team. I want you to see that we are walking together on this journey. We're aligned on this. And, and this is where I have to learn to really sacrifice what I get out of it and how this benefits me or how this hurts me is that when I'm in a tense conversation or a, or a hard conversation, it's understanding that, as Paul says in Galatians 6.1, we're walking together on a journey with Jesus. It's not me dragging them like my kid through the store by the hand. Come with me. We're walking together in alignment. We're on the same team. We're moving together. And I'm sacrificing that this might cost me a little more time. This might cost me a little bit more of myself. This might cost me what I want out of this. But we're moving forward for your benefit. I'm aligned with you. And I'm going to let myself go. Isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't that what humility is all about? Is thinking about ourselves less. It's letting ourselves go our agenda, our point of view, our feelings. It's not that those things don't matter, but you're in a moment where you need to exude some humility, and humility isn't come and see it my way. Humility is let's walk together. So I acknowledge where you're at, I ask a lot of questions, and I want to align with you so we can move forward. These three simple things help me to engage with people in a selfless manner and keep me humble, right? Can I see the person I'm meeting with? Can I truly see them? Do I care about them? Do I understand them? Because ultimately, you have a message that God wants to share with them. Whatever it would be. A message of repentance, a message of, of uh, you know, exposing a blind spot that they don't see that they've got. The message of Jesus, the gospel itself, is a message that you and I have for people, right? And that message needs to be delivered through us. We're going to talk about speaking up next week. But that person is loved dearly by God. Jesus died on the cross for that person. Jesus loves that individual so much that he wants to use you as a part of bringing that message to them. But how do we do it so that they'll hear it? Somebody as bad as Nebuchadnezzar is loved by God. I mean, that's one ruthless dude. And yet the God of the universe looked at him and said, I care about Nebuchadnezzar so much, I'm going to use Daniel to get his attention. And Daniel gets his attention, not through power, not through brashness, not through condescension, not through control. What does he get his attention through? Through his humility. His humility gets his attention across, it gets the message across, and Nebuchadnezzar gets the point. It doesn't go as you and I would have drawn it up, but he gets the point. And at the end of chapter 4, you see Nebuchadnezzar crying out to the one true God. Isn't that the ultimate result that we want? Daniel's story goes in another direction. We know that in a couple weeks. It's going to get thrown into a lion's den. 
But the point of this moment, the point of any tough conversation you're about to have is not to get your way, but is to be used by God to bring a message that that person needs to hear in this season of their life so that they would be drawn closer to Jesus. How do you do that? You have to embody the heart and the character of Jesus. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.